and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, no, no. We take part ourselves. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I know Carrie's not here today, but I do have an exciting guest today, Dan Phelps. This will also be a revisit to our Ark Encounter series, and we'd often mention while talking about the Ark Encounter that there were a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes stories, and who better to tell us about them than Dan Phelps. Dan is a Kentucky geologist who is the founder and president of the Kentucky Paleontological Society, and he's been on the front lines since the 80s trying to fight creationism in his state, and he's been closely following the career of Ken Ham and the organization Answers in Genesis. He's written letters to the editor. He's put in requests for public records. He shared those documents widely. He's written numerous blog posts. Uh, He's written reviews of both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, both of which he attended for the National Center for Science Education. And they honored him with the Friend of Darwin Award for his many efforts in this fight. He's also featured in the 2019 PBS documentary, We Believe in Dinosaurs, and much more to say about Dan Phelps. But let's hear it from Dan himself. Uh, I'll mention this is a conversation over Zoom, so there may be a few moments where you miss a little part of a word or or sentence from Dan, but hopefully everything's kind of there in context. Uh, But without further ado, Dan Phelps, welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. You've been on the beat of both Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum for a long time, Well, first of all, just tell us a little bit about how you came to be involved in the Kentucky Paleontological Society and what makes you excited about science before I ask you about pseudoscience. Oh, the good stuff. I'm glad somebody asked me about that instead of the stupid art part. (laughs) Oh, we'll get there. (laughs) Well, I've always been interested in paleontology and fossils, and I majored in geology at the University of Kentucky and eventually got a master's degree there. It's hard to find work in any sort of paleontology field, so I ended up a petroleum geologist at a major oil company and eventually moved back to Kentucky and worked for environmental protection for a number of years. So I'm now retired from state government. I'm in my early 60s now. And um, about 30 years ago, I started the Kentucky Paleontological Society. It's a group of both professional and amateur paleontologists, everything from people with PhDs to people with hardly any science background at all that are interested in fossils and paleontology. Fantastic. And we have monthly field trips and monthly speakers. So you were doing this long before Ken Ham shadowed the doorway of Kentucky. Yeah. Well, I came back to Kentucky about the same time that Ken Ham showed up here. It was, uh, what, 1994, I think, he moved out? 1993. Okay. I had always been against creationism here in Kentucky. And in fact, I got started in my anti-creationist stuff way back as a pretty much a freshman to sophomore level student as an undergraduate. Uh, That was like 1980 and 1981. Mm. We had a peer in Kentucky, in Lexington at least, to teach creationism in the local schools. And this caused a lot of big controversy here. The school board was divided two for and two against creationism with one undecided. Oh, wow. And Eugenie Scott, I was actually taking her physical anthropology class at the University of Kentucky at the time, and I got involved in 
helping out with writing letters to the editor and showing up at school board meetings and stuff like that. Excellent. Longtime listeners to our podcast may remember an interview Carrie and I had with Eugenie Scott uh, quite a few years oh, ago, and she was involved for many years with the National Center for Science Education. And I noticed that they awarded you as Friend of Darwin in 2017. Yeah, that's right. I've been doing this for a long time in addition to my actual science work. Fantastic. And again, just thinking of science in Kentucky, what makes Kentucky a great state for a geologist? What kind of fossils can you find there? What kind of evidence of the past? Oh, we have a wonderful Paleozoic section of rocks. We have mainly Ordovician rocks here in central Kentucky. Mm. Outer bluegrass contains things like the Falls of the Ohio Devonian fossil beds. And our coal fields are, well, our Mississippian rocks are full of nice fossils as well. And our coal fields have all sorts of spectacular plant fossils. So we're actually a pretty good spot. States to the north of us have been glaciated, and you have to pretty much find a quarry or a special road cut. Here in Kentucky, we have road cuts all over the place, quarries all over the place, railroad cuts, all these different exposures where you can collect fossils very easily. Fantastic. So Kentucky is a great place to do science, and here you were just uh, doing that, and the creationists had to come make this their battleground. Now, what do you think it was about Kentucky that really drew Ken Ham and other creationists to the state? Oh, there's several different factors. I would say one of them is we have a large uh, fundamentalist to evangelical population. Second, we have all sorts of wonderful tax breaks towards religious organizations that they can run mm. side businesses and not be taxed for a lot of the stuff that they do or at least have low taxes at the very minimum. And, of course, Ken Ham claims he came to Kentucky because it was within like six a day's drive of so much, like two-thirds of the population of the eastern U.S. But I've always found that argument a little bit BS because there's a lot of places that are within <laughs> two-thirds of the population. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I think he had lots of friendly politicians and churches and stuff here. That's the reason he showed up here. Well, as we were doing our unpacking of the Ark Encounter and, and the Creation Museum, we've also been talking about that as well. We kept promising that we would at some point do sort of a deep dive on all of those tax incentives, government breaks that Ken Ham and the Answers in Genesis organization used to build both the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. And so uh, we're really excited about you providing some of that context today. So yeah, tell me a bit about sort of how you got involved in this battle against creationism and what Ken Ham's been doing in the state. Well, of course, I started out in the early 80s, like I said, at some of the school board meetings and stuff like that. But it really sort of subsided other than occasional letters to and stuff like that over the years. But then Ken Ham came to the United States in the early 90s, I guess late 80s, and worked for the Institute for Creation and Research out in California. And he was getting a lot of people showing up at his talks and things. And he decided to go out on his own and start his own creationist ministry. And he came to Kentucky about 1993 and immediately started talking about his plans for a creation museum. Uh, by the late 1990s, he was uh, involved with actually raising a lot of money for this. Mm. He originally wanted to have the property for the creation museum 
in the vicinity of Big Bone Lick State Park, which is the birthplace of North American vertebrate paleontology. And you weren't going to stand for that. Right. There was a, a large zoning dispute over that because the area is very rural and there were uh, lots of objections from the local neighbors. And it was felt that he was uh, trying to get some of the credibility from the park. <laughs> and there was also um, the county that that's in had a, I'm not sure the proper term for it, a plan for the future development of the region mm. that wanted a real natural history museum in the area. And he was claiming that was the real natural history museum. Oh, no. So he was already <laughs> trying to blur the lines between sort yeah. of a legitimate scientific organization. So there was a large opposition, both locals and the different secular groups and myself that were fighting the zoning hearing. And he eventually lost. They eventually oh. said that Boone County didn't want to put it in the area of Big Bone Lick. So Ham found an even more rural area that was off um, one of the side interstates, uh, I-275, and bought a piece of property there. And nobody really cared except for some of the neighbors objected. But it wasn't the big zoning dispute, and I figured I didn't oppose it in any way because I thought it was free speech. He could build it. Sure. He had the money to build it wherever the hell he wanted. I get the not-in-my-backyard kind of argument, but at least he's not building near a very important geological site. Right. It wasn't anything that was going to give him any sort of state credibility or any yeah. uh, scientific credibility. And I, I've been there, so it's near-ish to the airport, so it's kind of mm -hmm. accessible in that sense. And I assume you've been there? Oh, yeah. I went there the opening week and wrote a review for the National Center for Science Education. We'll link that on our Facebook page. I've done reviews of both the Ark Park and the Creation Museum within weeks of their opening on National Center for Science Education. And you're a known quantity to Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis. <laughs> Now, I noticed you'd mentioned in another interview that Ken Ham wrote a blog post about you, who is Dan Phelps, and oh, I, do, I can't find it on his current list of blogs, so he may have taken it down, but it is oh, on the, oh. it, it is on the <laughs> Internet Archive, though, so I was able to find it. His main argument there seemed to be, oh, well, this Dan Phelps guy, he says that we don't do any legitimate research because uh, they were, I, I guess they had gotten an Allosaurus right. specimen. They were donated an Allosaurus skeleton by uh, the white supremacist Michael Perroca. He oh. was uh, he oh. was the former head of, uh, he wasn't the head, he was a board member of an organization called League of the South. Oh, and no. And bankruptcies and things, he had obtained an Allosaurus skeleton from Colorado. And this guy was a devout young earth creationist and said he, he actually said at one point he was going to rebury the specimen if he couldn't find somebody to donate it to. Oh, my goodness. So he donated it to the Creation Museum and they accepted it in spite of his white supremacist background. In, in spite of that. He's a, a neo-confederate. Anyway, uh, somebody from the press contacted me and I said, well, it's going to be just a trophy. They basically are not going to do any research with it. And I've been shown right over the years that they really haven't. And Ken Ham's rejoinder was, well, look, we have this one person who has some uh, scientific bona fides. So clearly you're wrong that we're not doing research. Right. It was like I was the only person opposing them. And here's me with just a master's degree. And then he has a PhD scientist from Australia that uh, <laughs> is a young earth creationist. So we've outdegreed you. So therefore, we're doing real science with this. Right, right. Fossil. And of course, all the people working for the Answers in Genesis ministry have to sign a faith statement that they're young earth creationists and they have a whole laundry list of 
specifics about that. And they also have a lot of things they have to sign off on about being against various things in the culture wars. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really funny. I Ham eventually, in his Who is Dan Phelps blog post, he actually, at the very end, told his followers to pray that God would shine his light on my heart. How's that working out? That was 10 years ago. Um, well, I haven't got any money out of it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, God, keep shining that light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So it took him then about 10 years after he got to Kentucky to get that initial museum up and running. Right. It went from like 1993 to the fights over zoning in the late 90s, all the way to 2007 before the Creation Museum was completed. Yeah. Hot take on the Creation Museum. How do you like it as a museum? I mean, <laughs> I, I got to say, like, the design is good. It looks like a nice exhibit but yeah what's your what's your kind of reaction beyond that well I, first of all i'd say it's not a museum but they i do, <laughs> will give them credit they have wonderful artists working for them yeah okay they that's have a good way really to say talented it. people on their staff as far as the overall appearance of things of course the content is total bullshit but that's a different <laughs> matter <laughs> uh, but it does look nice and uh i guess that's the best nicest thing I can say about it. Okay. And they don't have anybody at the ticket booth who's trained to recognize Dan Phelps and turn you away or anything like that? Uh, not to my knowledge, but back before the Ark Park opened, they were doing fundraisers for the Ark Park and they had this special meeting at the Creation Museum for potential financial backers. Yeah. I signed up for it and I went and I brought a newspaper reporter, Joe Sonka, who is now with the Louisville Carrier Journal. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And Joe and I went in there and I used my own name and everything. And I managed to get all of their papers about their financial plans and all these really neat things. I oh. got a picture of myself taken with <laughs> Kim Ham. At the meeting. Who, who didn't know who I was. You got all this info. Okay. So I got all this info from them. I had no more than left the building when I started getting emails that they realized I had been there and challenging me to debate them. They, oh. they want people to debate them all the time. Well, that's, I mean, I guess good for them. But I wonder to this day if I'm ever recognized or anything. <laughs> yeah. One of Carrie's and my uh, dubious distinctions is that we're included in the Scientology rogues gallery. So oh. <laughs> people at Scientology around Los Angeles are trained to recognize us and turn us away. <laughs> because Can you get to a Tom Cruise movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't see that happening any anytime soon. Um, I know. I tried in the, after that to get into another special meeting they had where they were going to walk around the Ark property before they built the Ark, mm-hmm. and I was turned down. Okay. And after that, well, this spring, I was suddenly banned from all of Ken Ham's social media, such as Twitter and Facebook. Okay. Even though I'd never commented any of his posts or anything, they must have specifically gone through the list of people that belonged and recognized my name and. And I was blocked from belonging to their social media accounts. But I got a, I got around that. Yeah, uh, but how petty. <laughs> if I had gone on there and made all sorts of snarky remarks, I could understand it. But yeah. I never commented at all. <laughs> now, did you ever take them up on one of these debate offers? No, no. You never want... Uh, you never want to formally debate the, the creationists. They do the gish gallop where they mm. throw out so much bullshit in a few minutes that you would have to take a whole day to refute. Yeah. They know how to do this so well. I was on a radio show one time arguing 
it wasn't really a formal debate. It was a um, back and forth with a creationist that works for them named Terry Mortensen. He's got a degree in the history of science. Hmm. And at the very end, I knew he was going to do it at some point during the, the discussion. He challenged me to a debate. And oh. I told him, yeah, I'll be glad to debate. But my form of debate would be for him to write a scientific paper showing that <laughs> dinosaurs were dragons that were on Noah's Ark and they were fire breathing and hmm. all this litany of crazy creationist claims about dinosaurs. And he said, well, they would never publish that in a journal. <laughs> but I, I basically challenged him to submit this to any scientific journal and I would be one of the reviewers oh, and he wouldn't okay. pick me up on that he, want, he wanted me to debate in front of a church or school audience where they would bus in people from three or four or five counties away Yeah, and no that's not the way scientific debate works scientific debate occurs in scientific journals and at scientific meetings okay so you, you knew how this was going to go and you said let's not even bother this is not a truth seeking operation right I mean people back in the 1980s all well actually from the 1970s through the 80s fell for this all the time you would have a famous scientist would think they would get up and debate somebody like Dwayne Gish mm -hmm. and do really well when in fact even if you ignored the fact the audience was totally against the scientist, everybody would say that Dwayne Gish won. Mm, mm -hmm. Even though his information might have been pure fakery and you know cranky stuff, uh, you would still not win in a debate against somebody like that. Yeah, and you've mentioned Gish and the Gish Gallop, and you even described what it's like. But for anyone not familiar, Dwayne Gish was one of the leading lights, quote unquote, of the creation movement. And his signature move was just to make so many claims so fast, and then the scientists would get a chance to respond and get to say a few things or maybe take on one point, but there was no actual way that someone could take on every single one of those points because it takes a lot longer to explain the real science than it does to drop that misinformation. Exactly. And it's still that way when you're arguing with creationists. They'll bring up a dozen things and you can... You might know the arguments against 11 of them, but the mm -hmm. 12th one, I've never heard that one before. I don't know what the solution to that is. And they go, aha, we won. Yep, yep. That's just not the way things are done. <laughs> okay, so now we have a creation museum as of 2006, 2007, I guess they opened? Yeah, 2007. It was like uh, Memorial Day 2007. So then Ken Ham begins working behind the scenes on his next big vision, which is building this ARC park. They should have called it that. Uh, they called it the Ark Encounter. Yeah, tell us a bit about just what was involved in getting the zoning rights, approval, funding. Really want to hear about kind of what the struggle was. Okay. Well, there was there were a lot of things going on. Like you said, he probably was uh, planning this behind the scenes. If he had been smart, he'd have done. He'd have started with the Ark and done the Creation Museum second. Oh, really? Why is that? Because of just the appeal of the big arc-shaped building. Sure. But about 2010, it was announced, late, late 2010, it was announced to the public. And what I was able to find out was that the gone to the city of Williamstown, which is in northern, northern central Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Why would he choose Williamstown? Well, he managed to wine and dine the locals and he was able to persuade the locals that it would be just a, the biggest thing ever to happen to the city. I actually went to one of the public meetings where people involved with the ARC were practically claiming that the streets would be paved with gold before <laughs> the, the thing was over. They originally said that there would be 1.4 to 2.2 million visitors a year. Oh, wow. So the locals at Williamstown 
sold the Ark 98 acres of land for a dollar in addition to the land they actually bought. Wait, say that again. How much did they sell? How much they land? They sold 98 acres of land adjacent to where the Ark is built yeah. for a dollar. One dollar. One dollar. There was also a leak where one of the locals on like the city commission or something like that had let it leak out that the Ark was going to be buying property. And of mm. course, the locals, somebody locally got greedy and decided to ask more for their property. Ah. So the city also gave AIG, Answers in Genesis, $175,000 in cash. Whoa. Uh, the city then reduced property taxes on the Ark. And then there was the big debate where Kentucky Tourism, when this was announced, decided to give the Ark Encounter, originally it was going to be an amount in the $143 million range over Whoa. a 10-year period. But it was finally reduced down to $18.25 million over a 10-year period where they get their sales tax back. Oh, wow. So any sales tax they pay to the state, they get up to $1.825 million a year back from Kentucky Tourism is a sales tax rebate. Oh, these are huge incentives. Yeah. And it's still going on for another, you know, it's a 10-year run on this. So they still have several years. They'll be receiving $1.825 million a year from the state. They also had the city reduce the property tax on the ARC. When they were having trouble raising the investment money, the city ended up, Williamstown ended up issuing $62 million in unsecured junk bonds for the construction of the ARC. Oh my goodness. Okay. And I think they mortgaged a lot of their own property and bought a lot of their own bonds. I can't really prove that. Okay. Another thing, the, the local government, mainly county as well as city, uh, 75% of Ark County's property taxes go to repaying these bonds instead of to local government. Okay. Now, everybody, now, got, the list keeps. List keeps going on. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. Oh, oh no, I, I want to hear the whole list, though. I am curious to know, like, how many of these incentives, bonds, tax rebates are just special consideration versus like actually illegal or improper? Well, I don't think any of it's really illegal. I'll get back to the money from the state tourism in a little bit. Okay. But the local stuff is apparently all legal. They also make anybody that works at the ARC encounter has to pay 2% of their wages to the ARC bond debt for the next 30 years. Oh, wow. Okay. In spite of already getting low uh, amounts of money is pay. You know, their pay isn't spectacular for the people. That yeah. Work Why put that on the employees? Okay. Yeah. And the state transportation cabinet uh, spent $11 million to upgrade the interstate I-75 exits because there were supposed to be big traffic jams. Oh, yeah. Because there were so, so many people visiting the Ark. And of course, right. that Yeah, I told in my tale of visiting the Ark, it was really hard. Well, it was hard to get transportation to there from the airport because I didn't have a car. I got, you know, like a, a lift service, but getting back from the Ark was incredibly difficult. It's quite remote. It's very rural. Yeah. And there's just not a lot. There were, I think, like two restaurants that I could see in the town outside of the Ark property and beyond the one that was at the hotel where I was staying. So not a lot of food options, no transportation options. It took me pretty much a full day just to get <laughs> transportation back to the airport. So, so yeah, it doesn't seem like they've built quite the huge draw that they claimed. But but I'll let you keep talking about, I want to hear more about these incentives before we get to their performance. Well, another thing they got, 
I look at their 990 forms that all nonprofits have to submit to the Internal Revenue Service. Oh, yeah. Carrie's really good at pulling up these 990 forms. You can learn a lot from them. And this is all mandated reporting, right? Right. And they claim the ARC building, at least at one point, they claimed it was worth $130 million. They depreciated a little bit every year. But with the local county prop- PVA, the property tax valuation, they assess the ARC as being worth $48 million. Oh, less than half, almost a third of what... Yeah, Anson's yeah, and, and on top of saying. that, of course, they get reduced property tax rates as well. Mm-hmm. So it's very similar to some of the things that got Trump in trouble in New York, where you're claiming a piece of property is worth so much money at one point when you're getting loans and mm-hmm. when you're doing stuff like that, and then all at once it's worth so much less when you're being taxed on it. Right. Yeah. When you want to impress people, oh, it's worth a ton. But, oh, wait, you want to get money from us? Well, actually, it's really not worth that much. We're losing a lot of money. So, okay, they're playing that same game, which that sounds like that does kind of get to the edge of legality. Exactly. And um, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to whether they've done any shenanigans or not. It's really Mm. something that I'm always trying to get the local newspapers to look into, but they're more interested in sports and stuff like that than sort of government problems Uh, another thing they did was during covid they switched a lot of answers in genesis employees which is a non-profit to being working for the for-profit crosswater canyon the group that actually runs the arc they have a number of shell companies which are alternately non-profits and for-profits and it gets really confusing it seems like they decide it's whatever's to their best advantage whether they're non-profit or interesting But anyway, during COVID, they switched a lot of their employees from the nonprofit to the for-profit so they could get money from the Paycheck Protection Program. They received a million dollars from that. A PPP loan. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big deal. Yeah, can you describe, because I don't know anything about this, can you describe a little more this uh, corporate structure that they built? So it's not all Answers in Genesis. So they have several different shell companies. It's really bizarre. Uh, the main thing that oversees everything is Answers in Genesis. It's a nonprofit ministry. So they have to turn in a 990 form every year to the federal government. Okay. And they own Answers in Genesis, and they operate the Creation Museum. They're the parent company of a thing called Crosswater Canyon, which is a nonprofit ministry that operates the Ark Encounter. But they're also the parent company of Ark Encounter, which is a for-profit business that makes money uh, via the tourism tax rebate program. Okay. They also own something called the, what was called the 12 Stones Christian Academy. Uh, Now it's called Answers Academy. It's a private K through 12 school that I think they have the eyes on eventually being a, some sort of charter school or making some sort of money from voucher, voucher if we ever get that here in Kentucky. And something else really interesting and I think it's just brilliant on their part. They own something called Answers Collective. And Answers Collective owns a corporate jet. Along, Apparently, they, own, they co-own it with several other companies. Oh. And Answers Collective is paid for by the money people pay to park at the Ark. They have this big parking lot that charges 10 or $15 each to park. Yeah, it's huge. And that funds the corporate jet. And I find that absolutely brilliant. I mean, <laughs> wow. 
It's funny. There's always a corporate jet involved in any of these organizations. Okay. Yeah, they went down to Daytona. Ken Ham and a bunch of the executives at Answers in Genesis went down to the Daytona 500 NASCAR race because they have a car with the ARC on it. <laughs> Some uh, lawn care company has paid for that particular car. Okay. But they flew the corporate jet down to Daytona and flew it back to Kentucky. Amazing. There's another organization that's peripherally associated with Answers in Genesis, and some of it shows up on their 994s. It's called Taken Back Industries, spelled T-A-K-E-N-B-A-C. And Taken Back hmm. Enterprises is owned 50% by Answers in Genesis, and it's for profit. And they somehow buy property and sell it at a profit. And I'm not really sure of the exact nature Okay, the, but it's a, a yet, yet another shell company owned by Answers, or partly owned by Answers in Genesis. Yeah, I've lost count at this point. How many shell <laughs> companies are we talking about here? Well, underneath the Answers in Genesis umbrella, you have Ark Encounter, for profit, Crossroader Canyon, nonprofit, the Answers Academy, Christian School, and you also have Answers Collective that owns the jet. And then you have Taken Back Enterprises. Okay, so at least five of these subsidiaries, and it sounds like this gives them license to just kind of shift things around and change reporting and change tax structuring whenever they need to kind of push money one way or the other. Yeah, it, it is whatever they want it to be at the moment. Okay. And if you ever watch the documentary, We Believe in Dinosaurs, a lot of this is mentioned in that documentary. But one of the things that Ken Ham is quoted in and saying at that particular, at the opening of the arc, and he said, let me say this for all the media, not one cent has come from taxpayer money. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I've heard that repeated. Like when I was there at the arc, they were trying to make it sound like they'd really pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. Is that technically correct even? It's a sin of omission, I guess. I, I was I was raised Catholic. Yeah. You can, you can lie, and it's either an outright lie, or if you don't lie and leave something out, it's called a sin of omission. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Ken Ham, you're being called out for that. Now, certainly his claims that he made of just how big of a draw this would be. Of course, you know, some of that has to be speculation, but how successful in your mind and according to the numbers has the Ark Encounter been compared with Ken Ham's vision? Well, what I do every month, I, back in 2017, after they had been open about a year, local government started realizing that the attendance wasn't quite as good as they expected, yet they mm -hmm. were still having to spend a lot more money on fire and police protection for the ARC. Mm. So they started uh, a new um, a local city tax of 50 cents, 50 cents per ticket sold at the ARC. Okay. That is public record. So every month I do an open records request, and I'm able to gauge their actual number of tickets they've sold. Okay. Now, they always claim attendance is much higher than my numbers because they let kids under 10 years old in for free. Okay. A lot of lifetime pass members apparently out here that must visit quite often for hmm. them. Okay. Hold on. I'm very, I'm very skeptical of that last part. But I'm able to find out how many people visit every year or every month, actually. And I would say their best they've done is maybe 900,000 in a single year. In a, in a single year. year. Okay, so yeah. not quite a million. And right. he was estimating how many per year? Anywhere from 1.4 to as many as 2.2 million a year. Okay. So they are not bringing in the money that 
at least from ticket sales. But yet they're getting money from somewhere. They just bought a former Toyota headquarters building in Northern Kentucky that they're putting the school in and they're moving their headquarters to that building. Uh, they are probably at least partial owners of the local um, Hampton Inn oh. that is adjacent to the Ark. They sold a little piece of property, and it appears that I can't prove that it's the new hotel is solely owned by the Ark, but at least it's partially owned. The same post office box as the art as answers in Genesis actually okay. controls the new hotel. And is that open yet? I can't recall. Oh yeah, it opened this spring. This oh, spring, yeah. Okay. Because it's a nice looking hotel and apparently if you get one of the penthouse rooms you can see the art Okay, I think it was still under construction when I came to visit because I stayed at a small, I'm pretty sure, independent hotel that was right down the street from it and an easy walk for me. But yeah, that Hampton Inn and Suites building was still under construction. So okay, that just finally launched this year. Yeah, so that's open now and they're at least partly owning it. Whether they own the whole thing, I can't swear to. I just don't have enough information because it's owned by a corporation up in Ohio. And sometimes it's hard to get all the records I would like. Uh, That's one reason I'm really hoping other people would eventually start helping me. I'm a dumb geologist. How do I know how to use public (laughs) records? I really wish other people would help me out. And it's just been your beat for all these years, and you're doing it well enough that uh, nobody's stepping up, huh? Right, right. And people aren't helping out with some of these important things that probably a good attorney or somebody with an investigative background could probably find the information for me. Okay. How have they been doing lately? Are the numbers getting better, worse, Uh post-pandemic? They're not doing as good as they did before COVID. Okay. For a while, they've sort of rebounded a little bit. I mean, during COVID, they had really lousy numbers. You can't fault them that. I mean, Mm -hmm. but they have failed to rebound to the extent of pre-COVID numbers. So they're not doing all that well. But yet they're getting so much money donated to them. And it's hard to figure out who is actually doing the donations and how much it is. Mm. It's usually redacted from the 990 forms who is actually donating the money. Interesting. So it could be, well, you could speculate endlessly, but maybe church groups or private donators. It could be the Hobby Lobby people. I don't Mm. know. It could be the Museum of the Bible, which is associated with the Hobby Lobby people. Yeah, there's an interesting kind of history behind that family. I don't know if you know too much about... Yeah, the Greens, yeah. Do you know much about that interaction? Because, yeah, when I was there, a big chunk of the third deck of the Ark is a little miniature Museum of the Bible, like the one they have in Washington, D.C., but with a lot of reproductions of some of these uh, important... Yeah, they've, they've lent them a lot of stuff from the Museum of the Bible. Okay. So, yeah, there's some sort of association there, but still somehow they were able to afford the $31 million that went to this new former Toyota building. Hmm. And that's just amazing. And somehow they were able to afford the new hotel. And it's really interesting. I'm not really sure what's going on and who's giving the money. And that's not public record. That's, that's how I sort of got famous on this was during the tax incentives. They swore up and down to state government they weren't going to discriminate in hiring. Mm. They said they would hire anybody regardless of religious faith. Oh, that's hard to even imagine. And in August, when the thing was first approved by state government, I was able to, August of 2014, I was able to find an advertisement on the Answers in Genesis page for somebody working at the Ark Encounter that required signing a statement of faith 
the statement of faith includes all the young earth creationist stuff. You have to tell what church you go to. Mm. You have to attend a local Bible believing church. Wow. Uh, there's just a whole laundry list of things that you have to be to be hired by them. And yet this job was advertised for the ark. So I wrote an op-ed for the local newspaper, the Lexington Herald Leader. Good for you. It got a little bit of attention. And then Americans United for Separation of Church and State, they wrote the governor's office and the tourism cabinet a letter saying, hey, they're, they're discriminating and hiring. Yeah. And they, the tourism cabinet and the governor said, well, we can't really support a company that's going to discriminate in hiring. Right. So they took the tax incentives away from them temporarily. And then the whole thing ended up in court, and they got this conservative Christian judge to actually rule in their favor. Really? And at the same time, we got a new governor, of ultra-conservative fundamentalist Christian called Matt Bevan, who decided not to appeal the loss of the lawsuit. So the winds just happened to blow their way, and yeah, I'd be curious to know how that judge justified what's clearly an abrogation well, of the law. There. They said they didn't have requirements for non-Christian groups or any, any other secular group. Therefore, Christians would be discriminated against if they did not get the tax incentive, which was a really bizarre take on things. Oh, wow. But anyway, this is all in the documentary, We Believe in Dinosaurs. Yeah, which you're featured in. Right, right. I mean, it's how I got sort of famous on this issue was that I was the one that initially stopped them getting the 18 and a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it lost in court. Uh, I never had anything to do with any of the lawsuit or anything. And it was really frightening that they lost. And within a few weeks, we had the new governor that would not appeal the decision. Ah, bummer. So, yeah. Especially since you're just trying to advocate for science in your home state. Right. I mean, it's... It was very discouraging that this happened because I'm always going to oppose them for the non-science and pseudoscience and fake science. I really hate to call it pseudoscience. It's not. It's so bad. It's not even pseudoscience. <laughs> at least, at least pseudoscience. There's some sort of trapping of science that is yeah. not true. But this is just total. What's the technical word? I think it's junk uh, science. Bullshit yeah. is, the, is, the, is the actual Fair. word. But I mean, they are trying to use the trapping of science in that they have like a lab with microscopes and they vaunt their PhDs and, the, you know, their various other pretensions to scientific credibility. So they really are trying to borrow all the trappings of science, which certainly does make them pseudoscience. But I, I take your point in that what they're doing is so far removed from the scientific enterprise. Yeah, I mean, pseudoscience would be like maybe touting a medicine that didn't work by doing mm. rather biased double-blind tests and getting mm -hmm. a published journal only to be later retracted because something was poorly put together or poor methodology hmm. but this mm -hmm. doesn't even qualify in my opinion doesn't qualify even as pseudoscience they're not even at the level of being pseudoscience fair enough i don't know if there's any way to access this kind of information but do you get any indication of how many out-of-state visitors are coming is this mostly kentuckians hard to say i'd say the majority of people are visiting out of state uh, since covid ended they're getting a lot more senior citizens on bus trips okay that ended during COVID, and that really hurt them bad. And they um, they were doing pretty good on the bus tours. But post-COVID, uh, the bus tours are back, but they don't seem as numerous as they once were. Okay. But as far as going through the parking lot, I'd say the vast majority are out of state. 
And remember, it's really expensive to visit the Ark. I mean, they... Yeah, what's the current ticket price? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think they sell a combined ticket to the Ark and the Creation Museum, and it's over $100. Oh, wow. And last time I went to the Ark, well, the first time I went on opening day, not opening day, but at least a couple of days after they opened with the film crew from the documentary series. Mm-hmm. And I got in free on that because of the documentary people had either bought my ticket or been given freebies, something like that. But the second time I took Eugenie Scott, this is like in 2017. Oh, what a trip. It cost us at that time almost $60 each. And off the top of my head, I'd have to go to their website and tell you the exact amount. Yeah, sure. Wait, I should be able to pretty quickly pull up how much it was when I was there. But it's far more expensive than a like the Natural History Museum up in Cincinnati or the Children's Museum in Indianapolis. Uh, even places like they're fairly expensive, like the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, still are cheaper than the Ark Park. I believe it. Okay, I'm looking at the Creation Museum. This is when I was there, and that was about a year and a half ago. They had... A combo ticket for adults was $85 for the Ark and the Creation Museum. And then if you were over 60, it's $75. And then 11 to 17 was $45. And 10 and under is free, as you were mentioning. And then they had various other bundles and whatnot. But yeah, that, that's a good ticket price for sure. Somewhere in an alternate universe where Hollywood is smarter... And the Emmy nominees for Outstanding Comedy Series are Jet Pacula, Airport Marriott, Thruple, Dear America, We've Seen You Naked, and Allah in the Family. In our stupid universe, you can't see any of these shows, but you can listen to them on Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that brings you hilarious comedy pilots that the networks and streamers bought but never made. Journey to the alternate television universe of Dead Pilot Society on MaximumFun.org. Now, we were talking before this about the opening day. So they opened the arc up, you said, July 7th? July 7th. 2017? 2016. Okay. So they were, you said, trying to go numerologically for as many sevens as they could? Uh, There was something they said that was to the effect that there was some sort of Bible verse that started out with different ones that started out with sevens. I can't remember which one it was. Oh, interesting. Okay. Maybe even referring to the animals or something. Okay. That might be fun to track down. This is future Ross here. I'll just jump in real quick to say... I did find on the Ark Encounter website where they mentioned this 7716 numeric significance, and they say, We wanted to choose an opening day that had significance, and so like we do in every aspect of the Answers in Genesis ministry, we started with God's word. Genesis 7-7 says, So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, went into the Ark because of the waters of the flood. Using the verse reference, 7-7, as a date, July 7th, gives us the most appropriate time to allow the public to enter the Ark as well. And further down the page, they say, So we decided to have two sessions per day for people to come visit, one in the day and one at night, for the first 40 days and 40 nights, to play off of the 40 days and nights of rain in Genesis 7:12. So there you go. Okay, we'll get back to the interview. 
Uh, yeah, I was almost surprised that Ken Ham didn't open it up on July 17th. Wait another 10 days because that's the day that Disneyland had its official opening in 1955. <laughs> and I got the impression both from feedback from a former employee and just from hearing him talk that it seems like he has a real chip on his shoulder that he wants to kind of do Disney better than Walt Disney. It, it's sort of a love-hate thing where he's sort of inspired slash, you know, wants to show up Disney and do it better. Um, have you ever gotten any indication of that competition? I, I've I've heard him compare his attraction to Disney, but it's really really sad actually. <laughs> uh, back, I remember some of the things that I went to in the city of Williamstown when they were touting the project to the locals. They were going to have all these different things. Yeah, they were going to have a parade of animals where people were dressed like you know how Disney has people in the, oh. in the suits. There yep. will be like animals going up the gangplank of the ark. Oh, I was just at Disneyland yesterday. They put on an elaborate parade, so he thought he was going to do the same. They were going to do a parade every day, and the big pond in front of the ark was going to have big fountains to represent the fountains of the great deep opening up for the flood. Wow. There were all these crazy Disney-esque type things that they came up with. Amazing. And uh, so far, none of that has come to fruition. Now, I I've seen like a map that... Answers in Genesis has publicized where they have this future vision, this like 10, 20 year vision of what the park is going to be with like a semi-constructed Tower of Babel and like a recreation of Jerusalem. How much do you know about that plan and, and how likely do you think it is to actually come to fruition? Well, I think they will eventually have it because they seem to be rolling in money in spite of their attendance. But they've been working on the city of Jerusalem model that they bought from some defunct fundamentalist uh, theme park down in Florida. Oh. And they're working on the Tire of Babel, or Babel. They're going to have a ride where you take a ride and it's through the history of the Hebrews escaping the uh, Pharaoh and stuff like that. Oh, my and goodness. None of this I'm, is I'm historical. Not sure take, <laughs> I'm not sure you want to take your firstborn son along with that ride. But, that, <laughs> um, but anyway, it ends up the Tower of Babel is going to be a big movie theater, is my understanding. Okay. They're working on that. I think they have the plans for it, but I don't know if they've even, I don't think they've even started anything towards it. One worry I have is that they will eventually try to get more tourism money. We have a mm. very large chance that we might get another conservative governor mm -hmm. this November. And if that happens, the Kentucky Attorney General, his name is Daniel Cameron, he's running for governor, and he visited the Ark back in late 2021. Got a personal tour from Ken Ham. Mm-hmm. And got to go on the fourth deck of the Ark, which the public generally is not allowed to go on. And got a personal tour and spent most of the day at the Ark. And when I did a open records request, all I got was some photographs. Okay. And none of the people were named. I tried to get the mileage of the vehicles, who went on the trip, uh, because there were other state employees that were obviously there, as, as well as security guards. Mm -hmm. I was denied everything like that. And when I appealed... Uh, guess who in Kentucky oversees the appeal of an open records request denial? The governor? No, the attorney general. Oh, this guy, guy who wants to be governor. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. So, yeah, you, so, want, you want records of his visit and uh, he's not forthcoming with them. No, no. I don't know what was discussed. I wasn't able to get a hold of the actual setup for the, the event. What yeah. Correspondents set it up. 
who went, how much gas mileage was put on the vehicles. Okay. All those different things were denied me. Which should be available if they're. I think any other government entity, I could have gotten the information. But... Yeah. And they didn't even use a merit system employee. They used a political appointee to, to deny me the appeal. Boy, I would love to see that fourth deck of the Ark. If anybody from Answers <laughs> in Genesis is listening, I will come back out if you uh, if you let me go up there. <laughs> They were originally going to put a fancy restaurant there, but I, I understand that never came to be. You know, you got to hand it to Ken Ham. He's, uh, he's a man of vision. He definitely he's does. brilliant. He might be bad at uh, science-related things, but he's brilliant about knowing his audience, the NASCAR thing, the financing the corporate jet. Yeah. It's just so brilliant. It's, 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 it's sad to see all this creative energy poured into <laughs> all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. I can see his uh, review from this interview. Dan Phelps says, Ken Ham is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing that I've heard about is that at one point they had to file for flood insurance, which is just Uh, entertaining right on its face. Now, when you get into the details, it's not quite as funny as you would think. You know, it wasn't like the ark itself flooded. No, they had a lot of rainfall and they had a side access road that they had cut down all the vegetation and trees and all that would have rooted the thing in, so, in place. And if they had only had a decent geologist working for them that could have told them <laughs> to do that. But what happened was there was a lot of rain and there was a big slump that took out part of the road and they had to anchor it in place with a special pilings and a fence and rebuild the road. And a lot of it probably was due to fractures in the pond in front of the ark. Okay. So when they made the press, they were suing their insurance company because the ark was damaged by a rainfall. <laughs> and they could have, I mean, that's hilarious as far as a headline. Oh, yeah. That's not really, really what happened. But they could have had a good sense of humor about it and made made light of themselves and come out looking at least not as a bunch of jerks. They got all upset that everybody was saying this. Huh. That is pretty rich. They didn't properly um, go with the flow and uh, laugh along with everybody. <laughs> but I have pictures of the slump and stuff. Uh, if I ever get out to California, I'll, I'll show you the um, slideshow that I'm looking at for some of my reminder of some of the different things. Anyway, I, a friend of mine that used to work for the ARC, he was in their uh, IT section. Oh. He was saying on one of the blogs, or not the blogs, but one of the podcasts he appeared on, that while he was there, they actually were out with dowsing rods around the, uh, the pond. What? Trying to find the fractures leading from the pond to the uh, slumping shale area. Oh, my which goodness. Which hilarious that they would believe in dowsing rods. That is it shocks me, actually, at a certain wow. level. Wow. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because that's a form of divination. That should. I mean, you think if Ken Ham knew about that, he'd be upset because that's witchcraft. If it works, of course it doesn't. Well, I guess they might think there's some pseudoscientific way that it works, but instead of witchcraft. But that's again, wild. There's no scientific basis, and it's. Um, <laughs> but yet there were people out there with apparently this is sort of secondhand from my friend that used to work there. There were people out there with dowsing rods trying to find the fractures and where they led to the slumped area. Oh, that's embarrassing. Well, yeah, that's not going to help you. And like you say, not hiring proper geologists to uh, advise you on 
trees yeah. that you're uprooting. If they only had some geologists on staff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where where might they find a geologist? Who knows any geologists? The area is very well known for the rock formations there called the Cope Formation. It's a shaley unit hmm. that if you try to build along a steep embankment, you better make sure things are really secure and that you don't tear up the vegetation because it's very liable to slumping and, and erosion. And that's exactly what they have. I mean, it's a textbook example. I have a picture in front of me right now. It's a textbook example of, of a slump. Can you define a slump? Well, it's usually a place that there's been some sort of movement in either unconsolidated or loosely consolidated sediment. In this case, it's th some of the clay minerals inside the rock unit that's there that when they get wet, they expand. Okay. And because of this, there's these things called listric faults. And the faults slump down slope. They're just gravity driven. Okay. But the whole thing has been weakened by the expansion of some of the clay minerals and stuff. Got it. And if they had had any uh, sense, they wouldn't have removed all the vegetation they did. It is indeed rich that the Ark Encounter would have water management issues, that, that rain would be <laughs> a big problem for them. And they should have played along with the joke. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you're right. That's a good opportunity to show that you're a good egg and they missed it. You mentioned that you have other information on slides. Is there any other good stuff we haven't covered there? Oh, gosh. Some of the displays in the Ark itself are just a hoot. Hmm. They have dinosaurs in cages. Oh, yeah. I'm a good expert on this. In our series, I kind of walked everybody virtually through all of these exhibits, though I know they're constantly updating, too. Yeah. Did you see the one where they have the dinosaurs fighting the people in the pre-flood arena? Yes. And in fact, I've been reading one of their main exhibit creators wrote a series yeah, Tim, of books. Tim Chafee. Not just one, but three novels that this particular... Yeah, I've read the first two. As Noah, uh, some woman, and a couple of giants fighting a Carnotaurus in this pre-flood arena. Yep, that's exactly what happened. It's beautifully done, but is, it, it, would make, it would be a hilarious sort of steampunk-like... Um, <laughs> A grade B, grade C movie that would be on the science fiction channel. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, just the right amount of fun anachronisms that's fun for fiction, but uh, kind of embarrassing when you're trying to pass it off as alternate history. But a number of their displays are based on some of the books and all they've written about Noah that are mm -hmm. that they are fiction. Yeah, they have this invented um, language, though it's just kind of a cipher for English. So yeah. I took the time to break it down and figure out what all the little signs wrote. And they were mostly like little passages from the Bible or little side stories, nothing nothing of any huge import. They gave Mrs. Noah and all of Noah's wives names, and they're never mentioned by name in the Bible. So they yep. made names up. And they have this one little sign about artistic invention at the mm -hmm, Ark. Mm -hmm. Artistic license, rather. Yeah, to their credit, it. they say artistic license, which, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tip the hat to that. <laughs> but anyway, um, before the Ark was built, there was a movie with Russell Crowe about Noah's Ark. Yes. It was a really, really bad movie. <laughs> at least in my opinion, a really bad movie. I'm with you. But Ken Ham raised hell about that movie because all of the stuff they invented that wasn't <laughs> biblical. And here he does the same freaking thing in mm. his own art park mm -hmm. by making stuff up that isn't in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, they do put a lot of disclaimers up. So maybe he just feels he's being more uh, principled about it than Darren Aronofsky was. But 
Uh, yeah, I'm with you. And it gives them something to publicly rail about and get attention. And it seems like they're pretty good at getting attention. Yeah, it's always hard to say who's listening to them. I'm really not sure. They might just have their own echo chamber, but it's hard to tell. But anyway, they're a big restaurant. They have a buffet restaurant right next to the Ark that seats like 1,500 people. Ah, uh, Mzara's Kitchen. Yeah, named after Noah's wife. Yeah, his, Noah's wife, Mzara, is her name mm-hmm. according to this. You know, it's it's really hilarious. <laughs> so do you have a sense overall just how much of a money sink this has been versus a boon to Kentucky tourism? It's really hard to say. I mean, like I said, they are not making anywhere near the numbers they projected. Mm-hmm. The adjacent town is not getting any business to amount anything out of this. Uh, there are hotels in the region up at Dry Ridge, which is, you know, 15 miles or so up, or 10 miles up the road or so. Okay. They have additional hotels, but that might be due to the expansion of the Cincinnati area. Uh, so the Ark takes credit, or Ken Ham takes credit for a lot of that. Hmm. But I'm not really sure that there's any, the little town just is being treated like crap. Back when the uh, documentary We Believe in Dinosaurs came out and was aired on PBS in three weeks before COVID really got the start around here in mm. late February of, of 2020. Somebody from the local paper, she did a story. It was basically an op-ed about the documentary that myself and several other people were in. Yeah. And Ken Ham responded to it. Yeah, he said uh, he responded in an op-ed. We wanted to point out this documentary entitled We Believe in Dinosaurs was an agenda-driven propaganda piece that focused on dinosaurs and the Ark Encounter. In reality, however, dinosaurs represent a mere fraction of Ark exhibits. The producers ignored the Ark's massive impact and instead focused on one small town that had no major hotels and restaurants and whose struggling downtown is not convenient to interstate drivers. Oh. Well, that one small town is Williamstown, the very town... (laughs) Where the Ark is located. Where the Ark received the $62 million um, junk bonds from. Mm -hmm. And this is the same little town not convenient to the interstate drivers that also sold them the 100 acres of land for a dollar and mm-hmm. gave them $175,000 cash when they were starting. So they bend over backwards for him, and he just kind of throws them under the bus. I, I wrote an op-ed. I don't have it here in front of me any place, but I said the little town bent over backwards and forward. Yeah. And, and the editor didn't oh. catch that, and it, and it went in the Herald Leader. <laughs> oh. Wow, that took me a second. Oh, well, well played there. I didn't say grab their ankles or anything. No. But <laughs> oh, no. oh. That's good. That's a good line. Oh, my goodness. And uh, amazing that he would call the film agenda-driven, but I guess takes one to know one. Yeah, actually, I thought the documentary was a little bit too fair towards them. They let them speak at length about their own beliefs, and it really showed what talented people he has working for him as far as the construction of the Mm. exhibits goes. I always appreciate when a documentary can allow for the good points, the salient points, and kind of let them hoist themselves on their own petards. Exactly. The bad things that were said that were far worse than what I said was what people that were employed by and Ken Ham himself in that documentary. Returning to an earlier conversation point, I was just curious, because you you were mentioning how it can be a futile effort to uh, engage in debate with any of these people they put forward. And I get that. And I've heard arguments on both sides. You know, the other argument being just, you know, take any opportunity you can to communicate science and, and hope that some people on the fence will 
we'll hear that. Uh, how did you feel about Bill Nye doing a debate with Ken Ham and then a follow-up visit to the Ark? Well, I, I don't think he should have done it. Okay. On the other hand, I think uh, Bill Nye did a wonderful job. He was prepared for all of Ken Ham's pseudo-reasoning and pseudo-science and mm-hmm. non-science. He did a great job, but the very fact that he appeared opposite him gave Ham credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, to this day, what, what, what year was that? 2014? It's nine years later, and Ken Ham will still start out blog posts that says, well, I remember when I was debating Bill mm-hmm. Nye, mm-hmm. and you think it happened last week, but the guy is still talking about it. They have a whole display up on the third floor where they're playing that piece of that debate on loop, and then Ken Ham gets his little extra word in edgewise. Oh, they've written, not, not only have do they sell DVDs of the thing, they have a very thick book, I can't remember the exact title, hmm. where they go through and analyze every word that Bill Nye said. And oh, wow. apparently they've sold this book. I've seen it in used bookstores. I've yet to buy it. <laughs> wow, that is a sincere form of flattery. But they go through and parse almost every sentence the man said. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Bill Nye, he, like I said, I don't think he should have agreed to do it. But once he did it, he did a good job. Okay. And I know he did some good things afterwards with the money he got um, for participating. But I can't, I can't talk very much about who got some of the money. But it was mm. a very nice thing he did. Okay. So a lot of people on our side will, will bash Bill Nye. And I sort of do just for the fact that he participated. But okay. again, he did a good job. Okay. Oh, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Another thing I noticed, this is apropos of nothing, but another thing I noticed on the Ark was that there were a lot of Mennonites there, people who at least were kind of dressed in that. Do you, do you have any idea kind of what brings them in? Uh, I noticed that both at the Ark and Creation Museum, you see all the women with the ankle length dresses and mm-hmm. the thing that looks like an air filter on their head. Right. They're very nice people. I mean, I run into them in Goodwill stores here in Kentucky all the time. <laughs> you know, okay. That it's something they believe, and they're they're spending the money with Ken Ham. It's interesting. A lot of the groups that are actually sending people to the Ark don't realize that the Ark has put out information calling a lot of different sects of Christians heretics and claiming that they're, they do things against the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, mm-hmm. Seventh-day Adventists, which were some of the creators of basic creation science to begin with back in the 1920s. Oh, wow. Okay. They criticize all these groups and call them cults, but they, they criticize every group that is not a fundamentalist, biblical literalist of the most extreme type. I don't think Ken Ham ever saw a line in the sand he didn't like. Yeah, and there was a post by Bodie Hodge. He was Ken Ham's, he is Ken Ham's son-in-law. And gosh, I'm not sure I can find it. I have so many pictures in my, but there was a whole list of groups that, oh, here it is. He posted this thing called Sexual Humanism to the oh. Ark account, or excuse me, the Answers in Genesis website. Hmm. He included this chart. It says, God's religion, biblical Christianity, 66 books of the Bible. Of course, Catholics don't have that same number. Mm-hmm. Versus not God's religion, man's religion slash humanism. And under the humanism thing, there's all these counterfeits of biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the list is hilarious. It includes Islam, Judaism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Deism, Satanism, Freemasonry, the Moonies, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, wow. Roman Catholic. I mean, it's a whole list, a laundry list of people they despise. 
yeah. they also have Eastern mysticism, Hinduism, and Taoism, and uh, various New Age stuff. Boy, that makes it real hard when you're trying to draw in enough people to hit 2.2 million yeah. a year. This is just an incredible diagram. And, of course, they're getting tax money. That's the really infuriating thing is they really despise all of these other groups in spite of all the tax money they're getting off of them. I wish there was a way we could somehow reopen the lawsuit or something, but yeah. I don't know if there's any possible way it could ever be a or anything like that. Okay. It's just so sad. This group, uh, their statement of faith that they require people to sign before they work uh, rules out all but the most extreme mm. Christians, even if they're just doing like a kitchen job or a janitor. I can understand them not wanting uh, a non-creationist in the um, in the leadership or, right, or answering the phones or something. But yeah, at least you can have people do other jobs for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that should have been pretty open and shut. They spend a lot of their time on their social message too. Mm -hmm. They are obsessed with gays and transsexuals and a ton of time talking about that. Uh, this last January, they actually had this guy come in from Arizona. He's, his name was, uh, he was Reverend or Pastor Jeff Durbin. And he was sponsoring an anti-abortion legislation where, and it doesn't matter how you feel about abortion, the Creation Museum hosted this thing that was specifically on a piece of legislation that was going to appear before the legislature. So it's it's making political statements like churches are not supposed to. Exactly. They get uh, the 501c tax break, but yet they brought in this political group that was putting forward a piece of legislation that would have charged women and the abortionists with murder, not just banning that, but actually charging <sighs> them with murder. Oh, my goodness. And this was a, a, a formal event at the Creation Museum. And I don't see how they could legally do this in light of their 501c. I put together an op-ed and put it in the Herald Leader. It was responded to by one of their people, uh, Mark Lloyd, mm -hmm. like their equivalent of Baghdad Bob. Oh. He's the guy that always responds if you write uh -huh. a letter to that. It's okay. Lloyd basically agreed with everything I said, and then said I was wrong. <laughs> it was really a bizarre Whoa. response. Okay. <laughs> well, you make it this good point and, you know, agree with you there. But overall, you're wrong. Wait, which part was wrong? But he brought in a legislator um, from Western Kentucky, um, Jefferson County near Louisville, rural area south of, of Louisville, that sponsored this bill. And they had this big rally. In I mean, relation I believe it because when I was there, like the final day, they had this big American Campfire Revival with Kirk Cameron, and they had this big worship service outdoors, and there was this pastor who just had this fiery anti-abortion speech, and they were featuring this other organization. I don't recall them mentioning any legislation at that particular point, but they certainly made their stance clear. Yeah. It's it's so frustrating too. Uh, Man, you've been you've been working hard. You're writing all these op eds. You're bringing this to light. Would you say you are the biggest thorn in Ken Ham's side, or are there other thorns working alongside you? Well, I'd say there's other thorns out there, but he has gotten so he doesn't mention anybody in opposition by name. Come. I noticed uh, one of the talks he gave after this anti-abortion rally. Uh, he mentioned a local secularist, even though I'm not really a, a religious believer. I've never publicly stated my religious beliefs that he could call me an atheist or anything Interesting. else. Interesting. Okay. And uh, he calls me a secularist, which I sort of like. It's a, a good... Fair characterization. But he never 
mentions me my name anymore. Okay. Which I love. It's like he, he is hoping that I'm out for attention and I'm not. I'm out to defeat them and put them out of business eventually on legal grounds. I wonder if that's why that blog post isn't uh, active, at least as far as I could see looking through his archives. I'm going to have to look that up when we get off. Yeah. Because I'm disappointed that I'm not on there. <laughs> I think I have a copy of it someplace. Yeah, but. <laughs> I can point you at the Internet Archive, if nothing else. But yeah, on his list of blogs, uh, it doesn't show up where it originally was in 2013. I usually just Google who is Dan Phelps when I'm trying to find it. Yeah, man. I mean, on one hand, that's clever of him not to give oxygen to the opposition, so to speak. But my goodness, I... I've been accused of giving oxygen to him. So that's another problem. Yeah, is that fair. Anytime you criticize anybody like that, it might give them free publicity and they might use your what you say in a fundraiser. Like this could potentially end up in one of their fundraisers. Or yeah, something. like knows? I was saying earlier, right? Their poll quote later might be, Ken Ham is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like a movie review yeah. where they take all the words out of context. Yeah, there's a there's a great joke uh, that Emo Phillips, uh, the comedian, said that he wants to do a live show where he does nothing but push bolts into plates of steel for two hours, and he defies anybody to write a review that does not include the word riveting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, speaking of some of the political things, they're going to have a rally. They're sponsoring a group. Oh, shoot. I can't think of the name of them. It's um, it's located in Moscow, Idaho. They're coming to the Ark. It's like a very ultra-conservative uh, men's group that's coming to the Ark. It's called the Fight, Laugh, Feast Group. Fight, Laugh, Feast Group. Okay, that's a weird name. And apparently they're a bunch of fundamentalist Christians that like to smoke cigars and drink alcohol as well. Okay. And, you know, there are fundamentalists like Lutherans, conservative Lutherans, that are some of the best beer makers in the world. Okay. But this is a little bit unusual for Ken Ham's crowd. But they're going to have a thing at the Ark. It's called The Politics of Six-Day Creation. It's going to be at the Ark October 11th to 14th. They're having their national conference there. Okay. I've looked at some of their videos online, and they are the most trying to be polite but i really can't they're just the american taliban i mean for lack of a better word wow okay (laughs) i mean guys all look like the stereotype of a gun-toting uh redneck hillbilly um, make america great again okay Um, well geez i guess maybe i need to head back with carrie and (laughs) visit again get get your armor. (laughs) yeah oh my goodness that's wild well um I, I see this as an uphill battle, a Sisyphean effort. You know, you keep drawing attention to this. You've said that you would like to have more help in this effort. What can people do? You know, people who are maybe listening to this from other parts of the country or the world, what can they do to kind of well, help? Well, I do all this out of my own pocket. So I would just like volunteer help. Uh, somebody that's good at public record searches, an attorney that would be willing to maybe find databases that I don't have access to. Okay. Uh, back when I was denied the public records request, I could have gone to court and appealed it, but I would have. I tried to get local attorneys. I went through the local ACLU, and everybody had too many pro bono cases. And I sort of regret now that I didn't go to court and represent myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the person, what's the old saying that the person that represents himself in court yeah. is a fool? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I, 
probably been better off if it had been humiliating. It still wouldn't have been any worse than not getting the information I was trying to get. Yeah. Well, they can appreciate David versus Goliath, right? Well, yeah. um, hey, if we've got listeners in the area who can help out, contact info at onopodcast.com and we'll put you in communication with Dan. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Uh, also, I recommend several blogs. My favorite, of course, that I usually publish on is the Panda's Thumb. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can search some of my blogs about the uh, the Ark Park on there, some of the different things they've done in recent years. In reference to that famous uh, creationist textbook that they changed the words on to make it into an intelligent design textbook. Right, right. They used to mainly concentrate on intelligent design, but now they do a little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, yeah, Carrie got me a copy of that Panda's Thumb textbook. That's a good name for the blog. There's another one besides Panda's Thumb that's run by a husband and wife that work at University of Dayton up in Ohio, hmm. William and Susan Trollinger. And their blog is named Writing America. Okay. Writing, Writing America. And they've written a book called Writing America at the Creation Museum. It's a scholarly look at the Creation Museum and all the signs and all they put up. Oh, wow. Okay. That's great. Well worth reading. Lots, Tons of footnotes. But uh, they occasionally will post things, especially about social issues mm -hmm. that the Panda's Thumb doesn't like for me to sometimes bring up some of the crazy social issues that the creationists at Answers in Genesis do. So Trollinger is much more accommodating as far as that. And okay. of course, uh, Easy Myers blog, he will sometimes post things that have been rejected by Panda's Thumb. Oh, okay. That's a Feringula? Yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's one of my favorites. And PZ is always uh, willing to publish things that nobody else will for me. Very good. So. And you also mentioned the documentary We Believe in Dinosaurs. That's another place people can... That's right. You can get that on most online streaming services. Uh, if you want the CD, I think Amazon has it down to like $15 or $16. Oh, hey. Or you can okay. rent it. You can just rent it for like $4. On so. streaming, yeah. Right. Excellent. And if you're a PBS Passport member, if you've donated to your local PBS station, mm -hmm. you can probably watch it for free, a slightly edited version that appeared on the PBS series, Independent Lens. Mm -hmm. okay. It was an episode of Independent Lens. They took about 10 minutes out of it. Most of what they took out, I didn't mind them taking out because okay. it was me in very grubby situations looking for fossils. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, wild. Excellent recommendations. And another thing I'll ask, because we had people from Kentucky say, hey, there's other great things in Kentucky besides, you know, this kind of right wing museum. Can you give us any good recommendations if someone were in Kentucky? Where should they actually go to get some good signs? Well, unfortunately, we don't have a natural history museum in the state. That's the only reason I ever buy a lottery ticket. I know the odds are 300 million <laughs> against me, but it's the only way. We've we've talked about having a natural history museum in the state since the 1980s. Oh, wow. And, and we've never raised the first penny. We have all these great ideas. Uh, people at the Kentucky Academy of Sciences, several other geologists and paleontology types. We've talked about it for years. Yeah. You have to leave the state and go to the Cincinnati Museum Center to see okay. a real history museum in the region okay we also have a nice little um, museum that's temporarily closed for renovation but it's also out of state at parksville indiana the falls of ohio you can mm. see the wonderful devonian age fossil beds there oh excellent but if you want to stay in state you pretty much have to go to mammoth cave yeah i've heard about mammoth cave our short one of the pathology meetings that i run every month and we get to go on a field trip usually the next day 
So we, we have different fossil collecting trips, but we really lack a natural history museum. Okay. We even had a planetarium down at Eastern Kentucky University, a world-class planetarium, and they closed it during COVID and it's still closed. They took all the money and put it into the football program. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, well, uh, next time I'm in Kentucky, I'm definitely visiting Mammoth Cave National Park. Uh, well, boy, it sounds like it's an ongoing fight. doesn't sound like it's ending anytime soon. So, uh, Yeah, I'm sorry to say it might get far worse uh, if we get this ultra-conservative governor after the November election. Okay. This guy, he has visited the Ark, and like I said, I had all the Freedom of Information requests problems with him, open records request problems with mm-hmm. him. And boy, in the Senate, you have a Mitch McConnell and... Um, Rand Paul. Rand Paul, yep. Have you ever heard of them visiting the Ark? Not those two, but there's a whole laundry list of other people that have visited the Ark, including uh, Thomas Massey, the congressman. Oh, okay. And that actually has a degree from MIT in engineering. Uh. He actually has visited the Ark. Jimmy Carter visited the Ark, but it was mainly because the guy that helped build the Ark was very prominent in Habitat for Humanity. Uh, okay. I don't really blame Jimmy Carter that much for that. Yeah, all right. We'll give him a pass. Uh, several former governors, the Attorney General. There's been some VIPs. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's just so many things going on. It gets so difficult. There's several other senators—not um, senators, but congressmen. Yeah, down in Louisiana is a big ARC supporter. Okay, they will have these conferences. Well, they'll bring in various right-wing political people, like Tony Perkins. Oh, I recognize the name. He's like at the um, Family Resource Council or something like That's that. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and he's an extremely far-right preacher that has a lot to do with politics. But he mm. appears at the Ark things. I, one thing I didn't mention is they have a new carousel ride. Yes. Oh, yeah. You can ride a dinosaur or a pterodactyl <laughs> or several extinct mammals. <laughs> and the most boring carousel you've ever seen, though, you'd think it would be cool with all the different animals they have. At least I hear it's uh, ADA accessible for people in wheelchairs. That's good. Yeah, they run it really slow, so it's not much fun as the pictures <laughs> of But you can find pictures of Ken Ham riding... Um, I think he was on the pterodactyl. I can't remember precisely. Amazing. Yeah, that that was still a work in progress when I visited. So, okay. But again, where is the money coming from where they were able to, they imported this thing all the way from Italy? Right. And built a special building. They also have a 4D, what they call a 4D virtual reality show. Oh, yeah. I got to go on that. And it was, I got to say, it was pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. They spend the money and get, they don't do second rate stuff. Yeah. And that'll be quoted in a review, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The brilliant Ken Ham doesn't do second rate. Oh, goodness. This is, again, apropos of nothing, but uh, you're not related to any other famous Phelpses, are you? Like uh, uh, no. Fred Phelps or Michael Phelps? <laughs> At least people started calling me Phelps instead of Phillips after Michael Phelps, the swimmer, became famous. Okay. Yeah. The well, other uh, Fred Phelps. Yeah, Westboro Red- Baptist Church hate preacher, for lack of a better term. Bad guy. was from Missouri, and I think some of the Phelpses here in Kentucky, my relative ancestors came over here in the 1790s with people affiliated with Daniel Boone. Oh, really? The, about the same time Kentucky became a state. Okay. But some of them left for Missouri in the 1820s. So and maybe distantly related then. 
he's probably a distant cousin. Okay. So hopefully, very, hopefully, very, very distant. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, he's gone now. He can't hurt people anymore. Goodness. God hates Phelpses. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing him any favors. Well, uh, Dan, we appreciate your work. All the op-eds you write, the court cases you start, the the raking that you muck. It's all very helpful in... Um, countering the work that uh, Ken Ham is doing. So thank you so much. And uh, hopefully you can get some assistance there. Oh, I sure appreciate being on here. Thank you. I always like to get the word out. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks again to Dan Phelps for coming on the show. Uh, so exciting to talk with him and get get some more uh, behind the scenes info about all of these ARC Encounter related topics, uh, especially after having been there myself. If you happen to be in the Los Angeles area, Dan will be giving a talk at the Center for Inquiry West, that's right, the place where Carrie and I originally met each other, on Sunday, October 22nd at 11 a.m. He'll be giving a talk based on all the topics we were discussing today, but this time there will be visuals. So, hope to see you there. If you see me there, say hi. Also, we mentioned a few different articles, and Dan sent me a lot of fun follow-up links after our conversation, so keep an eye on the OnRack Facebook page. That's just facebook.com slash OnRack. We'll be sharing some of those articles over the coming week. Otherwise, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. Uh, You can support this podcast at MaximumFun.org slash join. That's how you become part of the family. That's how you support us on a monthly basis and make this podcast possible. Possible. Uh, Thank you so much to everybody who supports us. And you can also support us by leaving a positive review, telling a friend, all of those things help this podcast grow and hopefully keep too many people from going to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And remember... Well, one thing I've found is sometimes if you don't do it, nobody else will. So step forward and get involved. Learn to be a troublemaker. I'm Jesse Thorne. Bullseye is celebrating 50 years of hip-hop by bringing you an entire month of brand new interviews with rappers. That means... Jeezy. I put my pain in the music. Angie Stone. You know, hip hops. We called them hops back then. Master P. Music is what's going to open the doors for us, but whatever we come up with after this, it's going to be bigger. Plus, Chica, Saba, even the greatest of them all, Rakim. That's this September. Open up that podcast app, type in Bullseye, and hit subscribe. You're not going to want to miss any of this. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.